powerful song uh, that was. Thank you. In fact, all of the music, all the worship today has really just been so in sync with the message you know, that we feel like God's prepared for us today. Before we really extend that, kind of get into that, I, just, I feel like I need to pray for our students and for our children. I'm just sitting there worshiping and I looked over and I thought, oh, these guys leave a little gap right there. You know, they, they leave a hole. So what I'm going to do is actually move this stand and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right there. I'm coming at you. Uh, and this is kind of a trouble section anyway. A lot, of the, a lot of our worst sinners sit right in this area. So this would be really good for me to get up close to you guys. Hey, Jeff. Uh, let me just pray real quickly for our students and for our children because I realize when they left, God's blessed us so much with these guys. Father, I want to thank you. Uh, for our middle school and high school students and for their leadership. Uh, we know they're on their way back right now from this awesome retreat they've had. We've been praying for them all weekend. And I ask that the things that they've learned, uh, that the moments where they've been drawn to you and their worship and all the experiences that they've had, that you would push that deep in their soul and it would become a part of who they are. Uh, that it wouldn't be just a weekend away uh, with one another and with all their friends. But, Father, this for some would be a turning point. For others, it would be uh, another piece of what you're doing in, in this puzzle of their life to draw them to Christ. I pray for each of these, Father, and I thank you for them. And I thank you that every Sunday morning I get to, to preach past them to get to everybody else, that they are so faithful. They sit right here, they listen, they're seeking you. So I ask for an anointing on Daniel and for his team. And, Father, I want to step over here just for a minute and pray for our children uh, they are such a blessing. I love watching them worship. I love uh, just the unique blend of personalities and families you've given us. And I ask a blessing on them. Father, I ask that they would grow up to know Jesus. And some of us in this room, wow, we have made so many mistakes and lived our lives apart from you. And there's these gaps there. Uh, I pray that they would not experience that. That they would just take one step of victory after the other. And I know there will be moments when you have to discipline them when you have to um, draw them to yourself in, in a variety of ways. But Father, I ask that they would just see you early in their lives and that they would not know some of the pain and some of the regret that, that many of us in this room have experienced. I pray for their parents, uh, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and grace and patience and love as they raise these little ones up to know Jesus and to make a difference in their generation. Father, we thank you for today and look forward to all that you're going to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I um, got to go to the game yesterday. Did you guys watch that? Okay, this is, uh, this is so cool because I'm standing there and I'm watching the score and I'm thinking, did we just go up? We just went up. Yeah, and so I'm watching the clock and I'm, somehow I get it in my head, oh, that's the shot clock. And I thought, oh, he's got, and then, and then this glorious thought bursts in my brain that's not the shot clock that's the clock you know it's about to be over so it was this is kind of good thing and the ladies came back last night and won but if they hadn't here's what happens in sports if you continue to lose if team doesn't do well you know they, they have some bad game have a bad season who's first person what do you do fire the coach that's a change. And sometimes that's exactly what needs to be happened, but sometimes it's just that something needs to happen. And we don't know what else to do. In 1996, the Cubs 
had lost 96 ball games. They called Dusty Baker in and said, you're fired. And a lot of us saw that coming, and they made this huge change. But what happened after that? They kept losing. Because that wasn't maybe what needed to happen. And a lot of us who are, you know, just watching at a distance, and, you know, we always know more than the coaches, right? I love that I can sit in, in my, you know, little family room in my house in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I can outthink coaches in the NFL and Major League Baseball and NCAA. I, I, you know, we just know, here's what you ought to do, you know, and we, we yell that. And when they do, we think, finally, I tried to tell you. If they could just listen, you know, just listen, we would make changes. And sometimes we don't. If you ever listen to sports talk radio, you know, people come through and they just want to make these sweeping changes. And you think, whoa, wait, we need to hit the brakes and think through that and make sure that's the right change. I can't be real critical, actually, about that because I've, I've done that. Haven't you? We all have. We, we do that kind of thing. When, when things in our lives just aren't working, when things aren't in sync with our families, with our church, we decide we've got to make some big change. We got to do so. I got to quit. I remember walking off a job one day. Uh, the boss came up and he was real critical, and he, he was just a real tough guy. It was a steel place, and I was like the most innocent lamb in the entire. Place. I mean, it was honestly, it was just a kind of a rough place. And um, he said, "Riley, I don't know if you're cut out for this kind of work." And I said, "I'm not. I don't think I am either." And I had a hard hat on. I took it off and I dropped my keys in it and I gave it to him. And I said, "And so I quit." And it's one of those moments that felt so good. You know, and I just strutted out to my car and I got in my Roadrunner and started to drive home and I realized, I just quit my job. <laughs> I don't have a job. Ah, oh, great. Why did I do that? You know, I thought it felt good for a moment, but I don't know if that's the big change that I needed to make that's going to be the solution. Sometimes we just, we just quit. We fire somebody. We leave our spouse. We buy something. We sue somebody. And we may very well be making a big change. But a change that's not really going to change anything at all. We have to be careful about that. I embrace change. Some of you know me know I like things to change. I, I kinda, I'm okay with that. Sometimes it's not good to change just for the sake of changing. That's what happened about 3,000 years ago in Israel. They were at this moment where there's pressure uh, at their borders from enemies that they know they can't overcome. That provoked Israel's elders to get together. They went to their leader, Samuel, and they demanded change. They said, we want a king. That would fix everything. If we changed our government, we changed leadership, that means you, Samuel, we want a king. Things can't just keep going the way they are. Have you ever been in a moment where you didn't know what to do and then you do something and it didn't work out so well because maybe you did it impulsively? You know, you just kind of... I've had so many people to show up in my office and, and I've said this too before I sound, you know, too, too like I, I've, got, I've got it all together. Uh, 
Well, I had to do something. Have you ever said that? Well, I had to do something. And I think that's the, that's the box that Israel was in at this moment. Well, we had to do something. Things just can't keep going like they are. We've we got to do something. They needed change. They needed change. So God gave them their king. And not only that, but he gave them this stunning victory over this brutal enemy, uh, Nahash, who was king of the Amorites. So at this, at this place where we're going to pick up in the story, it's at the First Samuel chapter 11. There's a great celebration. And at the end of that chapter, everything's good. You know, uh, everybody's kind of happy. They've got a couple of things that they really wanted. And uh, here they are. But it's this bittersweet moment because at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, we have the confirmation of the new king and there's this, you know, ceremony taking place. And it's time for Samuel to step aside. But before Samuel goes, he's got a little something to say. So Samuel begins this retirement speech by, he, he affirms who he is, and he kind of confirms with them, this is, you know, my integrity. Have I ever stolen anything from you guys? No. Have I ever been dishonest? Have I ever not led you with your best interest? No, you're the man. You are the guy, Samuel. We appreciate all that you do. You know, uh, and, and then he kind of changes gears, and, and it's almost as if Samuel said, so everybody's absolutely sure I've been a fair judge. Good? Yes, you have been. You're absolutely. Samuel says, okay then, I need everybody to listen. Court is in session. And I would like for the accused to stand. And then he pointed out at all the people. He said, Every, in fact, twice in this speech that, that follows, Samuel will tell all the people to stand. And, and this is interesting because... These are courtroom words and actions in the Hebrew. Uh, It's used out of context here. And you think, if you were in that day and in that time, you would say, wow, he's he's talking legal talk now. He's kind of moved into something different. In this ancient statement, God speaks to all of his people, including us. He looks down through history. He sees where you are. He sees where I am. uh, and, And he... He addresses this propensity that we have for making big changes that really don't change anything uh, at all. Samuel begins by giving his people a history lesson. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6, and uh, if we don't get this in sync, it's my bad because I, I, I sent all the scriptures in to, uh, to the tech guys and, uh, and then I didn't make note of which ones I was going to do out loud in my notes, and which ones. So if I get off, it's, it's my bad. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. It's very interesting that Samuel kind of goes back and he he recounts uh, their salvation experience. He tells their their story in kind of a condensed version. 
Now, any good Hebrew would know this by heart. This was like the Apostles' Creed uh, in, in that ancient culture. It's, like, it's a national testimony of their salvation. We all know uh, it, because it's blended in. It's their history and it's their spiritual experience as well uh, as a people. So Samuel reminded them, this is how it all worked. Everybody, you, you know this. Let me just say it again. You know, you, you cried out back then for God. Not for a king. You didn't say, oh, we need human resources. We, we need to change the structure. No, he said, you just got to this place where you knew, oh God, we need you. We need you. And in response, God appointed, God appointed the kind of leaders uh, that would, you know, be there in that moment, uh, just what they needed, Moses and Aaron. And God not only rescued them, but then he takes them into this, this land that he promised that was better than they could have dreamed of. It's almost like he said, you remember that? And let me just stop and do the same thing. Do you remember your salvation story? In the midst of your troubles, in the midst of the decisions you have to make, and you know the way that, the way that things go, do you stop for? Do you, and I know all of our stories are different. Everybody in this room is so unique, uh, and everybody listening, you know, it's like we've got these different things that have gone on and are still unfolding. But in another sense, they're a lot the same too. We were in bondage, whether you were seven years old or seventeen or seventy. You know, we. We're in bondage to, to sin and to Satan and to death. We had no hope. And we cried out to God, Oh, Lord, save us. Save me. And when you prayed that prayer, the blood of the Lamb was put over your heart. And God took you out of bondage and he, he walked with you through, through the waters of death and you died to yourself and he brought you to this new life and this new place of, of blessing and of beauty and of peace. All that he promised you. And we don't even have heaven yet. That's still, that's still to come. In verses 9 through 11, uh, Samuel offers this real short testimony uh, of, of the book of Judges. He says, but they forgot that the Lord, their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the land of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. And now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. Do you remember that? You were in this terrible situation. You were in this moment of your life that you didn't know what to do. It was a crisis, and you cried out to God. And He came through in such a, a, a beautiful way. You know, it seems that um, there are these seven cycles uh, that, that the book of Judges Brings to life in the life of Israel. They would forget the, you know, that they're living in a place of blessing. They forget the Lord. He gets their attention. You know, he pulls all the good things back a little bit. He pulls the, you know, the resources, the safety nets away. They get miserable. 
uh, enough where they finally cry out to him again. They repent, and then he sends a deliverer like Gideon or like Samson. And then you see that cycle. Isn't it funny that, um, that we have cycles like that in, in our lives too? How many of us in this room could say, yeah, I accepted Christ as a child. I was seven, I was ten years old. But then I got into youth group and I kind of got, you know, I got that, I got, I started driving and so I kind of messed up. And then maybe something happened in your life. You know, you went to an event or you had some friends who were Christians and maybe you, you pulled back and you, you got in a group and you, you, you found a good place of blessing. But then you'd say, well, but then I got to college and I got off track, and I started hanging out with some people, and I realized, whoa, I've got a lot of freedom, and I can, I can go to a club if I want to. I can, go, I can hang out here. I can do this. And it kind of made you feel cool, made you feel grown. Maybe you went into the army. Uh, you, know, just some, you know, there's a turning point in your life, and you, and you thought, I'm just going to leave that behind. And then you kind of rock along like that for a little while, and a crisis comes. It could be your health. It could be finances and grades or a relationship uh, that breaks apart. And all of a sudden, you're back to the Lord. Oh, God, I need you. Why did I ever leave you? I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. All I know is I just need you in my life. And I want you. I want you. And God comes rushing back in again. I have seen that. you know, And I have done that. I have cried out to the Lord and said, I, I need another chance. I need you to give me another chance. Samuel reminds us of something that we forget real easily. This is it. Every great rescue in your life came when you cried out to God. When you cried out to God, it initiated something different. My experience, your experience confirms that the the trouble comes when we forget about the Lord. Like Israel, we usually don't get into trouble because we just consciously, openly rebel against God. I know some of it, maybe that's where you are. Some people, that's the case. But for most of us, it's not where we shake our fists and say, I've had it with you. I don't want to do the Christian thing anymore. I'm going to live like I want to do. I don't like you. You're out of my life. Some, sometimes we get to that place. But for most of us, it's not like that so much as it is that we just sort of forget. We just simply forget about it. We make a decision. And we don't think about the Lord. We just make a decision. We make another decision. We don't consult his word. We don't pray about it. Uh, There are times we maybe will go weeks without examining our, our hearts or confessing sin or seeking God's direction. And I believe that when we forget the Lord, He does the same thing with us that he did with Israel. He starts to meddle in our lives. He starts to mess with you. And he goes, well, I've got to bring you back. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so he gets involved. He goes, okay, I've got to get your attention. And it's it's crazy to me that most of the times when God meddles in my life, it's distinctly non-spiritual. In the the parts of, it'll be your health. It'll be your job. Your car keeps breaking down. You can't seem to get on the same page as your spouse or with your kids. And something kind of pushes you back where you think, Oh, Lord, I just need to turn to you. And I know there's nothing spiritual about my car. 
I know, that, I know my job is, is a secular thing and it doesn't look like it's wired together, but it is. And God says, well, that's the thing you pay attention to. That's the thing that seems to kind of, you know, get you focused. And so he, he uses those things. One of the tip-offs for me that God is meddling in my life is when trouble begins to happen and you start re-examining, you start to see, you, you see yourself again in what you're becoming. We start to see the kind of man you're becoming, the kind of woman you're becoming, and you think, that's not me. I don't want and you see, wow, I, I am kind of petty. Oh, I didn't realize I'm, I'm pretty short-tempered. Or, wow, I'm kind of weak about... And God is basically taking us back to where we started with Him. He pulls us back so that we can see, wow, Jesus, without you, I'm so sinful. Without you, uh, I'm so weak in this world. And without you, I'm just so utterly unqualified to solve any of my own problems. I love this quote uh, from C.S. Lewis. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf. And I look back on my life, and, you know, you can almost track, if you were going to graph this, and you were going to look at the events of your life, oh, that's when, you know, this happened. I just, I just crashed financially. I lost my job. Oh, this is when, you know, uh, my mom died, and, and that was such a difficult time for me. Oh, this was when my kids went through this terrible thing. This is when you kind of look back at that and you look at these highs and lows. And then if you were to lay over on top of that another graph of how close you felt to the Lord and you just a sense of His presence, isn't it crazy that you can, that the high points and the low points match all the way across your life? God, at my lowest point, I felt closest to you. And then when everything was going pretty good, I had to kind of struggle to pay attention to you. But then when this other thing, when I got my heart broken and I turned to you, I felt such intimacy, such a nearness to you. Guys, I could think that that's sort of a coincidence, but, and I don't mean that God causes every bad thing in your life and you think, great, that must be God again. I don't want to blame him for everything, but I, I, I honestly believe, though, that if you were to track that, and, and I've done that. You know, I, I take a sheet of paper and go, oh, here's where I was and here's where God... Wow, isn't that amazing? You know, that I, I seem to be at my best with the Lord when things around me are falling apart. God doesn't want us... He doesn't want us to, to live that way, but He uses these events and these moments to get our attention. So the next time you face trouble, turn to the Lord. Just, just right then go, you know what? I'm going to skip all the junk. I'm going to skip all the the goofy stuff that I typically do and say and all the resources that I check out and all the big changes that I try to make thinking that's going to, you know, be the answer. I'm just going to not do all that and just draw to the Lord. We're just going to go right to the Lord. In 1 Samuel 5, excuse me, 1 Samuel 12, verse 12 to 15, it says, when, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. Do you see why this is such a big deal? It says, and behold the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for. 
Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Wow, do you see that the big issue wasn't so much as God's like, I don't care if you have a king or not. But when you choose a king and when you think that's the answer, that's what's going to get us out of this. We can work our way out of this. And you don't choose the Lord. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You know, just like they did, we get into situations when we're frightened, you're anxious, you're insecure, you're confused, you're really not sure, I don't know what I should do, and I've got to make this decision by next Thursday, or this is what happened, and I'm not sure we're going to go with that. And, and we, we forget about the Lord. Some crisis uh, where it's obvious, I need to call out to God. I need to repent uh, for forgetting about Him. Uh, but instead, we say, you know what? I'm just going to quit my job. I'm just going to fire the coach. I need a new church. I need a new fa- I don't want to be a family anymore. I don't want to be a husband. And I don't want to be a father anymore. We need a new pastor. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that one in. Um, why didn't God, you know, why didn't Israel just call him God? You think, hello, do you not get this? But look at your history. So Samuel's reminding them, has that ever worked for you before? For the same reason that we often fail to, when the people of God get in trouble, we will usually try everything else before we just simply walk by faith. And that's the problem with Israel. They didn't want to walk by faith. They didn't want to have to trust God alone. Uh, and churches don't want to do that. Churches always want, well, we need a, if we had a bigger account, if we had more people, if we had then we wouldn't have to. And God just kind of continually, you know, to, to a church and to a person, to a family that's seeking the Lord, he will just constantly pull away those things. And that's painful. And there, there are times I think, oh, we're just starting to get ahead in this area. And God says, oh, are you going to depend? On, oh, that's what you're going to look to? That's going to be your king? Well, then I'm just going to take that away. <laughs> well, I'm going to move that because you've got to stay focused on me. You've just got to know that this is a faith life. It's a faith life. Walking by faith, walking in Jesus, requires two real unpalatable things for me. The first is just the, this, this routine, this rigor of, uh, of being in relationship with God. Being in relationship with God. In verse 14, Samuel explains that by living in faith means keeping this careful track of, of your daily relationship with God, not letting that slip. And you think, but that just seems so ordinary. Yeah, in a super ordinary kind of a way, it does. And it means we confess our sin, that we rest in his ways, that we depend on him, we continue to go to his word, we ask for grace, God, I need to be what I cannot otherwise be without you. And secondly, walking in Jesus requires living without a backup plan. You know, you're trusting God, you, you're going to the Lord, and maybe a friend would say, okay, if God doesn't come through, what's plan B? I don't have a plan B. 
Well, if the Lord doesn't do that, then what's, what's your backup? You know, you've got to have a... I don't have one. That's a faith lie. It wasn't that, that Israel wanted to reject God as their deliverer. Uh, they just wanted a contingency plan. You know, they just wanted... Well, I just... We kind of need in case... Because I don't think nobody in their right minds who really seeks the Lord and really wants to be involved with God and have Him in their life is just going to say, Hey, God, I got this one. Don't worry about this. This one's on me. You take a hike. Nobody's really going to do that. But we would like to have alternatives. Just in case He doesn't want to deliver us or He doesn't bless us on our schedule the way that we wanted him to, the way that we kind of envisioned this. God, I've got this all mapped out, and this, is gonna, this would be so cool. Just do it my way this one time. The Lord's like, I can't do that. Well, then never mind. Then I'll take care of it. I don't, I don't need you in this one. Just sit this one out and let me do that. The problem is, that is, check this out. You ready? It's not going to work. Because we are in this ancient covenant relationship with God that only works one way, and that works his way. Samuel says, you know, in verses 14 and 15, okay, now you've got your king. Everybody happy? You've got a king. But the covenant that we established with God still works the exact same way that it always has. Follow the Lord and your life's going to work. Disobey, rebel against the Lord, king or no king. It's just not going to work. Life's not going to work out. You know, somehow you got that when you were 11 years old. And somebody said, here's how the faith life works. Now that you're going to, to live in Christ, you're going to be a Christian. This is the way this works. And somehow it was kind of simple. You know, we didn't have a lot of issues to deal with right then. And we kind of understand the premise. But as we get older and as we become more sophisticated, we start thinking, well, you know, I kind of get that, but that was pretty primitive. That was pretty you know, kind of an immature way to see the Lord. No, that is still the way that it works as an adult. Don't bail on that. Don't give up on that. God's relationship, you know, the, the way that he does this, it doesn't change. When we became Christians, we entered into this relationship with, 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 our, with, with God ourselves. And Jesus has given us every advantage uh, that we need when it comes to to living in that life. But the basic nature of the covenant it doesn't change. When you love God, when you obey Him, um, through the grace and the, the help of Christ, your life's going to work. When you don't, it's not. Okay? I don't know what your plan C is. and what you. Yeah, but you don't know mom and dad are going to come through for me. Yeah, but you don't know we've got this resource or I've got this skill and I think I can. When you don't walk with the Lord, it's just not going to work. You can change whatever you want to change, but it's not going to work and you're not going to be uh, who you need to be, who you're going to be uh, with the Lord. Let me just, just kind of wrap this up with this thing about Samuel. He uses this amazing illustration in verses 16 through 19. Um, that may be one I didn't give you guys. So let me just read that for you. In verses 16 through 19, it says, Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord. He says, oh, by the way, isn't this time for the harvest? 
Oh, that's right. You guys are about to head out into the field. Real quickly, let me, let me tell you about that. He says, I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever prayed? Have you ever started seeking the Lord? And he goes, okay, first of all, I'm going to destroy all your crops. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm so scared to pray because you're going to, I know what you'll do when you get involved. Sometimes you don't do anything what I want you to do. You just kind of do your own thing. And we, we get this, this kind of this, this fear that sets in. This is really what, what Samuel's doing for the second time is he's employing this courtroom terminology. All the language is just kind of wrapped around that and they would have understood he tells Israel, you just stand still and behold the power of God. Let me show you what God will do. Now, a heavy rain at harvest time just be devastating. They can't get into the fields. A lot of the crops are destroyed. Uh, it's almost unheard of at that time of the year. But he says, hey, here's what we're going to have to do to kind of get your attention. And the Lord sends this storm and it just hammers their crops. And Israel had to get their fears in the right order. See, they're always looking over at their resources. They're looking at whatever it was, wheat and barley and corn and these things. They're going, uh, whatever happens, we got that. Uh, we got that. The Lord says, oh, I've noticed you keep glancing out at your fields. That's kind of what you've got. Your comp- You're afraid something's going to happen about that. Well, let's just remove that. <sighs> Wherever. <sighs> I need a sound effect. I need, I need like a special effect right here. Uh, and and just, God just goes, and, the, and the, the crops are destroyed. And he goes, okay, now who do you fear? You. <laughs> And Samuel, <laughs> he's kind of a scary guy too. And goes, God's like, great, great. Now we've got things back in the right order. Now we can move forward because you understand that it's not just, you ready? The fear of failure, the fear of losing your livelihood, the fear of your family circumstance, the fear of standing. Or whatever. And what we do in those moments when we face that is that we... We miniaturize God. We may believe all the right things about God. Well, I come to church on Sunday mornings. You know, I worship. I'm in a, I'm in a community group. Uh, I've got a Bible study going on. And, and we think that just because we surround ourselves with those things, that everything's going to go okay. That's not the thing. Those are, those are beautiful, wonderful things. But it's, it's when, we, when we shrink God in our mind. And we may say, oh, I think God's all-powerful. But really in my heart, he's kind of like mini-omnipotent. He's like a little God in our heads. And the power of whatever we fear is actually bigger to us, louder to us, more dangerous to us than God. For years and years and years, I've loved reading Oswald Chambers. He died early in his life. He was just barely in his 30s, about the same age as Jesus, actually, when he he passed away, they had so much wisdom for a young man. This is one of the things he said. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. You know, let's just leave that up there on the screen for just a moment, because I think you might need to write that down. Because there's times that things seem so big to me. Oh, this job, or oh, that bill came in, and we didn't see that, or this broke, and oh, Lord. And God's like, oh, all of a sudden, that's bigger than me? All of a sudden, you're more afraid of that 
than life without me. I think this is a beautiful way of just saying, hey, stop miniaturizing God. Because if you do that, he's going to engineer a demonstration to persuade you to fear him again. Okay, Lord, I get it. You're back in control. I I understand now. Verse 18 says that at the end of this, when they, they figured out that our only safe place is in the Lord, our only safe place in this world is with God, whatever else is happening around us. Verse 18 says, So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. And I had to know, so I I did a word study on just that little word, awe. And in the context, it equals fear. And not just, oh, I'm a little anxious. No, this is wide-eyed, hands trembling, hair tingling, mouth dry. I'm scared. When they looked at the Lord. And they plead with Samuel to pray to to God for them and ask, don't pound us anymore <laughs> because of our sins. You know, don't, don't do that anymore. Just like you pounded our wheat, don't do that to us. Please, God, we get it. You're the man. And Samuel comes back, and I love the thing, and I see this all throughout the Bible again and again and again and again from, you know, the, the very beginning all the way through to the, the end. Do not be afraid. Stop. Don't be scared. God's for you. God loves you. He's promised he's never going to forsake you. He's going to keep that promise. And he spells it out in this story and again and again. He goes, God said, you know what? I'm not going to abandon you. We sang a song about that a moment ago, and I loved that. Because aren't there those moments in your life where you think, uh, Lord, I kind of did this, and I know you're probably mad at me, and you, you just don't want to have anything to do with me ever again, and I've crossed this line, and... That's sort of it. God says, nope. You get there with other people in your life, and there are sometimes that your boyfriend, or there are sometimes that your, you know, your parent says, that's, I'm done. I'm, it's, that's it. I'm out of here. He says, God will never say that to you. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever's just happened to your life, he's still in it. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to leave you. It's a different kind of love. He's a different kind of God. Don't miniaturize him or his attributes. So here you are, and maybe you're at a time of stress in your life. If you're not, you will be. You know, it's just the way of things. You think, well, this is kind of a great message. I'm ready to go eat lunch because there's nothing going on with me right now. It will. It will. And instead of changing um, all the stuff around you or trying to change something that is really not going to change anything anyway, here's what you do. When something has to change in your life, turn to your unchanging God. Serve the Lord with all your heart. There are two particular ways that I counsel people in trouble to do this. And they sound so basic that sometimes we skip over them or ignore them. Don't tell me to do the order. Give me something Something different to do. Something that's unusual, that'll feel like a solution. I think, well, okay, we might have to do that. If there's an addiction or there's some, you know, there's a tangled up relationship. Yeah, there's probably going to be some steps or some actions. But to begin with, we got to start right here. Because nothing is going to work outside of our covenant with God. It works the same as it always has. So first, stay close to the Lord. 
Wherever you are, whatever you're going through right now, read your Bible, uh, pray your heart out, uh, come to worship, don't isolate yourself, don't pull back and think, I'm just going to you know, kind of get in my thing and I'm not going to share, I'm not going to be a part of that, I'm just going to... No, stay, stay involved. The second thing is, stay close to the Lord is the first thing. Second thing is, don't try to grab some false comfort for help. Don't turn to a person or a chemical or whatever it is that your personality and your tendency is. Uh, just rely on the Lord's unshakable love for you. Trust Him. You, you are God's own beloved son or daughter. You are part of this bridal people. And He chose you before you chose Him. And he did it just because it delighted him to do so. And whether you like you or not, whether you love yourself or not, he likes you. And he loves you. And you're precious to him. You know, the first question that comes to my mind is, what about my sin? What about that? Just like Israel said, oh, well, we've got this issue. Just trust God's love that he's going to redeem you even from your sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's what he's done through Christ. He's going to give you the help that needs you. You need someone to pray powerful prayers for you and over you. You need to have someone that you trust in your life and just put yourself before them and say, you just pray over me. I just need some people praying for me. Haven't there been times, and if there haven't been, there will be times. You know, there have been times in my life that I felt like, God, I can't even pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I'm just so exhausted spiritually or emotionally. And I've had people just to pray over me. Just to kind of help carry you through. Get people that you trust to pray powerfully over you. And you will begin, just, you'll, you'll begin to wake up thinking, wait, I, I kind of, I'm kind of thinking more clearly. I think I know how to behave today. I think I know the decisions I need to make. God's going to be there and give you what you need in those times of trouble. And maybe change is necessary in your life. I don't want you to walk back out going, wow, he said not to change anything, so I probably shouldn't do I don't know. I'm not giving you a license to do that or, or a prohibition, no change. But I am saying that you need to know the way of change that's good and right, not just impulsive or desperate or just feels good like, well, I've got to do something. Remember your salvation story. Remember how you've cried out to God and He saved you again and again and again. Remember your up and down cycles. You probably know yourself better than anybody else. You can look back and see that's that same sin that sunk me before. That's, and God delivered me from that. I'm certainly not going to give in and go back to that. Remember to reprioritize your fears. Don't miniaturize God. Let the fear of the Lord be the supreme thing, the big thing in your life. And then... Turn to this unchanging love of God. It's unchanging God. I think we ought to pray for each other. So what we're going to do and how, how we'll wrap this up um, uh, this morning is, is like this. If, if you are going through something right now or maybe you just see something on the horizon, you think, you know, I know this is coming up or we've, we've got this problem, I'm going to encourage you, don't go through this by yourself. Or it could be that you see someone else. There may be a coworker or a classmate, 
somebody in your neighborhood and you know uh, they're going through this circumstance and God's calling us out. They may not have the strength of the faith right now to even to pray. So let's pray for them. Let's fill in that gap. And we're just going to pray powerful prayers over each other's lives. Let's do that now. So I'm going to invite you uh, just over the next couple of minutes, if you're in a circumstance like that and you would like someone to pray with you, if you would just come and just to kneel at these steps. This is not an altar. Okay? Some people say, come to the altar. And I even call it an altar call myself. I still do that sometimes just out of habit. Uh, but we don't make sacrifices up here. <laughs> we, we don't kill things. We don't, you know, it's, not, it's not that. It's steps. It's steps and it's a platform. It's a stage. There's nothing magical about this place except for the fact that the Spirit of Christ is here in us. We could do that if this place were to burn to the ground tomorrow. We're still the church. We're still here for one another. And that's why we don't pray just on Sundays. We pray on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all throughout the week, wherever we are. Next week we'll be worshiping you know, on the, in the auditorium just within a stone's throw of where Calvary was born. We're going to be celebrating all throughout the year, but we just thought, how cool would it be to go to the very place uh, where we started and to worship God there? So don't come here unless you just kind of like sitting here by yourself. Um, but, but come over there. But today, this is where we are. And so this is where we'll pray. So if you need somebody to pray with you, just have the courage to say, God, I'm going to take my first step towards you. I'm not going to make this big change that maybe won't even make a big difference anyway. I'm just going to come, I'm going to kneel, and then just kind of put your hand up. And we'll see you. Some, one of our counselors, one of our pastors, maybe one of your friends who maybe knows or maybe doesn't even know, said, I just want to pray. I just want to pray for them. Let's just... Let's just gather on each other and just pray for each other. Maybe you're a warrior. Maybe a day you feel like, man, I think I've got an anointing to pray. I think I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for somebody. Will you just come and help us pray? Maybe you just want to pray for a friend that's not here or maybe someone that is. Let's do that right now. Would you stand, please? And I'll just say a prayer to get us started. And then as you feel led, if you need to do either of those things, just come forward. Father, we have miniaturized you so many times in areas of our life and uh, you take us through these cycles with such patience and such grace. And I'm going to ask that today, Father, you would give us a heart to pray for one another and uh, 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 the, the sense to, to bring you back to the place where you long to be in our lives. Uh, you are our King. And we turn to you, not all these other things. In the moments that we need change, we ask that you would guide us through what changes we need and specifically what needs to happen and don't happen. But, Father, help us to not give in to that propensity we have to rush or, or to, to, to make a decision that just brings about a sense of relief. Would you give us a heart to turn to you right now? And so, Father, we pray and we, we lift you up and we turn to you in Jesus' name.